Our passage this morning comes from the book of Job, chapter 24. Uh, This is the the conclusion of Job's response to Eliphaz. Uh, This will be uh, the the last time he speaks directly to Eliphaz. Uh, This is a, a meditation, a question, a proof of what we've seen Job deal with time, before, uh, time and again before, so we will actually deal with the, the, the laying out of the passage in a very briefly, well, not very briefly, but briefly enough, and, and move on to some of the, the lessons that we will pick from or, or draw from Job's uh, defense of his doctrine. I just remind you, uh, Eliphaz is... And, and his friends are dealing with Job on the basis that good things happen to good people and bad things happen to bad people. That God always exposes the hypocrite. That God always brings to naught uh, the wicked in this life. And that the, the innocent are preserved and upheld always in this life. And therefore, if Job is suffering the way he is suffering without any other evidence to back up the accusation, Job must, be, uh, uh, must have come by his wealth through tyranny and oppression. He must be a hypocrite and a grave deceiver. This Job is going to respond to with a rhetorical question in verse 1, and then back it up with three proofs uh, in the passage. Uh, we get that, by the way, in verses 2 through 12. Uh, verses three, 13 through 20, and verses um, 21 through the end of the chapter in verse, I think, 27, or excuse me, 24. Uh, and, then, and then he challenges them in 25 uh, with a dare to prove him wrong, uh, which they can't do. Before we uh, go further, though, let's go to the Lord in prayer that he would bless the reading and preaching of his word. Our Father and our God, we come before you this morning. We come to sit at the feet of your Holy Spirit, Uh, whoever the prophet is that wrote the book of Job. We know that he wrote it under your inspiration. And we know that this book is given to us for our infallible instruction and training and shaping and discipline unto righteousness. We ask, dear Lord, that you would reveal yourself in these words this morning. That as the word is read, that you would shine forth the glory, even in the midst of hard questions, of your wisdom. We ask that you would give us, each as we hear this word expounded, uh, your Holy Spirit. That our love of Christ Jesus might be confirmed in our heart. That our hope in him would be made more sure. And that his glory, even in the midst of hard times might be writ large upon our hearts. And we ask, dear Lord, that your word would not return unto you void, but that it would produce fruit, fruit of repentance, fruit of faith and perseverance in trusting our Savior, and fruit of obedience to his name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hear now the reading of God's holy word from the book of Job, chapter 24. Why, seeing times are not hidden from the Almighty, do they that know Him not see His days? Some remove the landmarks. They violently take away flocks and feed thereof. They drive away the ass of the fatherless. They take the widow's ox for a pledge. They turn the needy out of the way. 
The poor of the earth hide themselves together. Behold his wild asses in the desert. Go they forth to their work, rising betimes for a prey. The wilderness yieldeth food for them and for their children. They reap every one his corn in the field, and they gather the vintage of the wicked. They cause the naked to lodge without clothing, that they have no covering in the cold. They are wet with the showers of the mountains, and embrace the rock for want of shelter. They pluck the fatherless from the breast, and take a pledge of the poor. They cause him to go naked without clothing, and they take away the sheep and the hungry, which make oil within their walls, and tread their winepresses, and nevertheless they suffer thirst. Men groan out of the city, and the soul of the wounded crieth out. Yet God layeth not folly to them. They are of those that rebel against the light. They know not the ways thereof, nor abide in the paths thereof. The murderer, rising with the light, killeth the poor and needy, and in the night is as a thief. The eye also of the adulterer waiteth for the twilight, uh, saying, No eye shall see me, and disguiseth his face. The dark, in the dark they dig through houses which they have marked for themselves in the daytime. They know not the light. For the morning is to them even as the shadow of death. If one know them, they are in the terrors of the shadow of death. He is swift as the waters. Their portion is cursed in the earth. He beholdeth not the way of the vineyards. Drought and heat consume the snow waters, and so does the grave those who have sinned. The womb shall forget him. The worm shall feed sweetly on him. He shall be no more remembered, and wickedness shall be broken as a tree. He evil entreateth the barren that beareth not, and doeth not good to the widow. He draweth also the mighty with his power. He riseth up, and no man is sure of life, though it be given him to be in safety, whereon he resteth, yet his eyes are on their ways. They are exalted for a little while, but are gone and brought low. They are taken out of the way as others, and cut off as the tops of the ears of corn. And if it be not so now, who will make me a liar, and make my speech nothing worth? The grass withers, and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord abides forever, and his people said, Amen. So Job asked, and there, this is part of uh, the, one of the more complicated passages of the book of Job. Hebrew poetry, like all poetry, often plays fast and loose with grammar and, and traditional conventions of writing. Things are assumed and, and blanks are left in, into the phrases. And sometimes it's harder to construct exactly what is said, though we know uh, what is meant, uh, generally speaking. Uh, both the Pew Bible and, and the uh, the. the the Bible I'm reading out of, handled that first phrase somewhat differently. Uh, but nevertheless, the idea is what Job is challenging Eliphaz and the others is if it is so obvious, if it is patent that God always in this life works for the just and the righteous and the innocent, if he never ever lets the unjust and the wicked escape earthly punishment then why is it that the godly, those that love the Lord, those that seek His wisdom, can't actually see in real time that happening? This, by the way, is something of the same uh, retort that, uh, that 
is used against Darwinists. If, if evolution is happening all around us all the time and species are changing from one to another and developing, why don't we see that? Why is it not happening? And, and whatever you think of that question, it's that same sort of thing. Why is it not observable? Because the whole basis of their argument is that they know Job is a hypocrite because he suffers and therefore... They must have that firm sight uh, that they can see all the works of God. They must see clearly that what God is doing is, is that judgment. And yet, and, and Job is confident of this, this is an argument that if they would but reflect upon, they know to be foolish. Uh, his whole challenge in verse 25 is based on the fact that what he says in the, between verses 1 and 25 is patently obvious. And so the three proofs, you can divide these in several different ways, but we're going to look at them, uh, as, as I mentioned, verses 2 through 12, then 13 through 20, and then thir- uh, 13 through 20, and then 21 through 24. And there is a certain sort of progression about them. He first starts with the common, everyday injustices that we see. Uh, the, the fact that the poor, uh, are not, not just the poor who are poor because they don't have the resources, their land is bad or, or whatnot, but the poor who are poor because of the, the wickedness of people like what, who Job is compared to. Those that are oppressed, uh, the fact that they can so easily accuse him of oppression means that there are pressures, oppressors all around them. Well, if that's the case, and they prosper in their oppression, because if they didn't prosper in their oppression, they wouldn't be oppressing, right? The whole idea that God has to go in and fight for the fatherless and the poor and the needy means that there are fatherless, poor and needy out there that need defending. And so he takes as just these common way, uh, commonplace uh, injustices that are all over uh, the world. Now, we live in a time where we have this thing called social justice, and, and very often it's picked up in such a way to, uh, to argue and, and often arguing against the true source of justice, which is the church, but even uh, the, the sword and the world, and to undo what society has done so that justice might be had uh, just because there's still sin in the world. But very often social justice is different from gospel justice because uh, social justice imagines a utopia out there. It imagines man untouched by sin. It imagines that we can save ourselves and therefore their solutions are based on fairy tales and are always counterproductive and always makes things worse. But just because we might be opposed to the arguments that they make, doesn't mean that we can't see that what they see as well, that there is injustice in the world. If there was no injustice in the world, by the way, there would be therefore no unrighteousness and therefore would be no cause for salvation. But there is. And it's there. And it's commonplace. 
So the first proof is, is that the affliction of the poor are not always vindicated in this life. Uh, we get the, the climax from what he, he lists all these various and sundry different um, uh, problems. Uh, and he climaxes, the, the, he reaches his main point in verse 12. Men groan out of the city, and the soul of the wounded crieth out. And yet God layeth, layeth not folly to them. That is, he doesn't lay the folly to the oppressor. Uh, they are still going forth, uh, making the, the poor to toil in their house, uh, making wine and that sort of thing, and yet sending them away thirsty, uh, looking upon them and just almost out of spite, snatching what sheets of food they have left, plucking the, the last uh, little bit of income, the last donkey that the, the poor orphan has, the, uh, the last raiment clothing that they have to shield themselves against the cold, not because the wealthy need it, but because the poor have it. You see this, by the way, in the way uh, the elite and wealthy and, and politically connected oftentimes uh, speak grandiosely about taxing themselves, uh, but in the meantime, are robbing uh, the nation of of their wealth, inflation and, and usury and and all these sorts of things are injustices that are as clear in our day as they were in Job's day. And and if God is such that He always works His justice out in this life, how do we deal with that? I think. I think sometimes, and it's not without a point, that Job's three friends, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar, they were wealthy and well-connected men of their day. They were at peace, and they were not troubled by oppression. They, to their credit, were wise, and, and we get the impression that they were holy men. So they were not themselves oppressors, even though they accused Job of being so. But there's a certain sense in which their doctrine helped self-justify them. If God always uh, afflicts uh, the wicked, and I am not afflicted, then therefore I'm saved by my wealth, I am saved by my comfort, I am saved by my good standing. I know that I am elect with God because I am a man of the world. Now, a Christian, after hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ, would never put it in those words. We shouldn't. But we should understand that we too sometimes justify our standing with God by our standing with our fellow men. And we have to be careful that in doing that, we don't participate in the same sort of affliction that Job's friends are participating in, in casting aspersions upon those that are poor and needy, not because of their own work, but because this is the way God has placed them in providence. If part of a Christian duty is to love our neighbor and to do good to our neighbor and supply what is missing in our neighbor, if you see your brother's 
If you have your, this world goods and see your brother in need and close up the, your bowels of compassion against him, how dwells the love of God in you? There is the idea within the church that there will be both poor and wealthy and blessed and that they are there for each other. But we tend to, in our comfort, forget that. Injustices such as these challenge and, and, and test our patience and our endurance and our hope. Uh, you see this in Psalm 94, in the first seven verses. O Lord God, to whom vengeance belongeth, O God, to whom vengeance belongeth, show thyself, lift thyself up, thou judge of the earth, render a reward to the proud. And how many times in the last year have, have you prayed this? Or prayed something similar to this. Lord, how long shall the wicked, how long shall the wicked triumph? How long shall they utter and speak hard things? And all the workers of iniquities boast themselves. They break in pieces thy people, O Lord, and afflict thy heritage. They slay the widow and the stranger and murder the fatherless. They say, the Lord shall not see, neither shall the God of Jacob regard it. A challenge to our faith and our, our trust and our hope. Uh, and of course it goes on from there as we will see, but, but we don't want to rush past that. The book of Job is, is a dwelling on that stage of our hope when we don't see the justice of God. And the fact is, we don't always see God's justice in this world. And therefore, we have to, to press on and we have to learn how to, to bear patiently even with that trial because otherwise we will give up. We will be tempted. Uh, and we will throw away our faithfulness. If you look at Psalm 73 verses 2 through 12. But as for me, you know, truly God is good to Israel. Psalm 73, verse 1. Even to such are as of a clean heart. That's the truth. That's the general truth. But as for me, my feet were almost gone. My steps were well nigh slipped. For I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For there are no bands in their death, but their strength is firm. They are not in trouble as other men, neither are they plagued like other men. Therefore pride compasseth them about as a chain. Violence covers them as a garment. Their eyes stand out with fatness, and they have more than heart could wish. They are corrupt and speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak loftily. They set their mouth against the heavens, and their tongue walketh through the earth. Therefore his people return hither, and waters full of, of a full cup are wrung out to them. And they say, How does God know? And is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the ungodly who prosper in the world, and they increase in riches. There's a certain sense in which there is oppression in the world. And it is a common trial of the faithful to look at that and not be taken away to, with an understanding that that's the end of the thing. That, that, that what we see is the whole of the matter. That wisdom is understanding that there is much going on that we do not see. As, as what we do. But we do have to reckon with the fact, nevertheless, that we don't always see the justice of God. And no true wisdom can be had until we come to that fact. 
And so Job proves it again, secondly, with what we might call secret crimes or what he has in mind, things that don't always go uh, uh, vindicated, unsolved crimes perhaps, secret sins, uh, those workers of iniquity that, uh, that do hide, though not from God. In verses 13 through 20, they are those that rebel against the light. They know not the way thereof and abide in the paths thereof, nor abide in the paths thereof. The murderer rising with the light killeth the poor and needy and in the night is as a thief. He's using rising with the light figuratively. He takes it as his daily activities to kill the poor and the needy. The eye also of the adulterer waiteth for the twilight, saying, No eye shall see me, and he disguiseth his face. And the dark, this would be thieves, would dig through houses which they have marked for themselves in the daytime. They know not the light. For the morning is to them even as the shadow of death. If one know them, they are in terrors of the shadow of death. He is swift as the waters. Their portion is cursed on earth. He beholdeth not the way of the vineyards. Drought and heat consume the snow, and so doth the grave those which have sinned. The wound shall forget him, the worm shall feed sweetly on him. He shall be no more remembered, and wickedness shall be broken as a tree. And verses 13 uh, through 18, he's dealing with, as I mentioned, murderers, adulterers, and, and thieves who do fear discovery, who fear discovery by man. They fear man's justice. And so they hide themselves and work secretly and that sort of thing. But they don't fear God. They don't fear divine justice for taking a life, ruining a marriage, uh, ruining property. And yet, in verses 19 and 20, they die just as calmly and without infamy as any other. Uh, that we might be tempted to, to look at what Job says about their, their being consumed just as the, the heat consumes the snow waters and, and the womb forgetting them and the worm dwelling sweet, um, feeding sweetly on them and thinking that Job is, is, is contradicting what he's saying, but he's not. Because Job himself doesn't deny that God judges. Job himself doesn't deny that God brings judgment. But what he is saying is, is that there is no distinction between the righteous and the wicked in the providence of the world. Now, there are some wicked that, that have their comeuppance. There are some wicked that are found out. There are some wicked that are ruined. But there are many murders, adulteries, and, and crimes of theft that go unsolved. And they die like any other without any memory of their sin, with any infamy of their sin outlasting them. Just as there are good that die in calm and peace, but there are those that die in the midst of tragedy. Job's own children. As Solomon says in Ecclesiastes 9, verses 1 through 3, you can't know the love of God by what happens in their life. That there's something more there. Which is Job's point. Thirdly, he brings up those that are open and villainous, villainous in their tyrannies and oppressions. You know, there are those that hide and fear men, uh, the murderer, the adulterer, uh, the, the thief. But in verse 21, he's, he brings up another uh, that, that is bold and almost godlike. Uh, the, the pronouns, if you look at your pew Bibles, um, uh, 
footnotes, you'll note that sometimes they supply the word God, but it's not really there. It kind of switches, and it's a matter of interpretation, but I do think that the, the latter part, he's speaking of those that are that do not fear any retribution by men. He evil entreats the barren that bears not, and does not good to the widow. He draws also the mighty with his power. He rises up, and no man is sure of life. And this no man is sure of life is not in response to what God is doing, but of what the tyrannous man is doing, the oppressor is doing. No one uh, can be sure of anything unless he... he satisfies the, the, what basically amounts to a mafia kingpin type thing. Though it be given him to be safety, whereunto he rests. And here the word his probably does refer to God, yet his eyes are upon their ways. They are exalted for a little while, but they are brought low. They are taken out of the way as all others. And that phrase is important. And they're cut off at the top of the ears of corn. No, it's not, again, Job is not denying that God judges. But even the open tyrants, the kings of the world in which he lived, the Babylonians certainly were not godly men. And yet, very few in the day of of Job died as luxuriantly and in such wealth as those of Sumer and Babylon and Assyria and Egypt on the other side uh, of their world. And it's not, it's not even arguable. So, so taking this argument and asking ourselves, what do we see of the Lord's work? You know, why, seeing the times are not hidden from the Almighty, do they that know Him not see His days? Well, we that know him, what do we see of his days by faith? And first and foremost, there should be a certain appreciation. We're dealing with Independence Day, and much of our attention this day, while it should be first to the Lord God, in gratitude to his mercies. It is nevertheless a day of civil uh, celebration of the liberty of our country. And when we think of our society, we ought to recognize that God's hand of blessing has been there. But any society can appreciate the good order that God gives to it, even when that society is set against Him. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Uh, Proverbs 14.34 Uh, In verse 17, we have those groups of people that don't fear God, but do fear man. For the morning is to them even as the shadow of death. Uh, If one know them, they are in terrors of the shadow of death. If their discovery is found out, they fear being punished. And so insofar as crimes are punished, that is a blessing that we need to recognize and we don't need to take for granted. But we also should understand that when that ceases to happen, and it does, that we are beginning to throw away what God has given us. I'm from Jackson, Mississippi. It's been many decades since property crime was decriminalized, at least de facto, in that city. And she still suffers for it. And will. 
And we see in many places in this last year, riots and looting and theft be dismissed as, as some form of civic protest. Where those that engaged in peaceful civic protest are demonized. We are in a time where Isaiah had foretold, and it happens cyclically throughout the world, as people grow tired of the Lord and throw his yoke off them, uh, where they call evil good and good evil. But where it's still upheld, we need to recognize it's upheld by God's common grace. And we need to give thanks for it. Happier still than to have just good order preserved is to turn to the Lord actively and claim Him as our King. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Psalm 33, verse 12. And the people whom He hath chosen of His own inheritance. If you follow the reference back to Deuteronomy 7, you'll understand that that's a covenant reference. The God will be uh, his, the God of His people and they will be His people. And that is taken up in the New Testament in the church. So regardless of what happens to the kingdoms of this world, you and I are in the kingdom of Christ. And we should be very zealous that the kingdom of Christ is governed in accord and faithfulness to Christ Jesus. So we should appreciate good order where we find it. But secondly, uh, we should understand what this constant injustice does teach us, our, our ex- what better is way to put it, what, how it shapes us. Because just as Jesus said, the poor you will have with you always... The, the flip side of that same coin is affliction and oppression and injustice you will have with you always, at least until the coming and consummation of the kingdom of Christ, where heaven and earth is merged. So affliction should push you past a mere worldly comfort. If you look in ver- uh, verse, well, If you look at verse 1, the question is, why cannot we see God's justice? But there isn't a denial that God is just. Why, seeing the times are not hidden from the Almighty, seeing that He does what He will do. Or in, in verse 23, the second part, uh, yet His eyes are upon their ways. This affliction, the fact that injustice is in the world should teach us with Job that what is going on is invisible. That there's more things going on. That we're not looking for temporal justice from God, but eternal justice. It's not that he doesn't bring justice out even in the temporal world. But everything finds its fullness in eternity. As he said in chapter 21, one of the things he learned from his own affliction, chapter 21, verse 29 and 30, Have you not asked them that go by the way? Do you not know their tokens? This was known even by the commoner. That the wicked is reserved for the day of destruction. They shall be brought forth to the day of wrath. But there is a more eternal thing going on. If we go back to Psalm 94. And we pick up where we left off. 
the injustice and the seemingly way that the unjust get away with it, the psalmist responds, verse 8, Understand you brutish among the people and you fools, when will you be wise? He that planted the ear, shall he not hear? He that formed the eye, shall he not see? He that chasteneth the heathen, shall he not correct? He that teacheth men knowledge, shall he not know? The Lord knoweth the thoughts of man, that they are vanity. Blessed is the man that, whom the Lord chastens and teaches him out of thy way. That there is more going on and for our good, and we ought to look for it. And were we to prosper in this world simply, the fact is our hearts would become settled upon a world that is vain and will pass away. That our hearts would even then ultimately uh, be upset and overthrown. Because worldly rest is vain, but a godly rest is everlasting. Though it be given him to be in safety, whereon he resteth, verse 23, yet his eyes are upon their ways. They are exalted for a little while, but are gone and brought low. They are taken out of the way as all others and cut off as the tops of the trees. Far better to be exalted by the Lord for all eternity. Psalm 37. David himself brings this up in the same sort of context. Now look at the first 15 verses of Psalm 37, and we'll close with David. Fret not thyself because of evildoers, neither be thou envious against the workers of iniquity. For they shall soon be cut off like the grass, and wither as the green herb. Trust in the Lord, and do good. So shalt thou dwell in the land, and verily thou shalt be fed. Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thy heart. Commit thy way unto the Lord, trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. And he shall bring forth thy righteousness as the light, and thy judgment as the noonday. Rest in the Lord, and wait patiently for him. Fret not thyself because of him who prospereth in his way, because of the man who bringeth wicked devices to pass. Cease from anger, and forsake wrath. Fret not thyself in any wise to do evil. For evildoers shall be cut off. But those that wait upon the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. As Job says, I know at the later day that my Redeemer liveth and shall stand upon the ashes of the earth. Yet a little while, and the wicked shall not be. Yea, thou shalt diligently consider his place, and it shall not be. But the meek shall inherit the earth, and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. The wicked plotteth against the just, and gnasheth upon him with his teeth. The Lord shall laugh at him, for he seeth that his day is coming. The wicked have drawn out the sword and have bent their bow to cast down the poor and the needy to slay such be as upright in behavior. Their sword shall enter into their own heart and their bows shall be broken. And our Lord coming into the world said, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those that don't have it always figured out, but trust the Lord God that are patient and are satisfied with his timing and his justice, knowing that it will be far greater and deeper, wider and truer than anything we could do here on earth. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we come before you this morning in the name of Christ. And we ask as we go forth that you would abide with us, 
that you would give us the patience to see the world as it is, to recognize that injustice is there, and give us, dear Lord, opportunity to do right and to do good. Give us the faith to trust you and to persevere. We ask, dear Lord, that in our time we would see the overthrow of oppression, the exposure of deceit, and the undoing of wickedness. But we ask more importantly, that though we might suffer at the hands of wicked men, that we would be faithful unto our Savior, and at the last day, that we would see him stand in victory. And though worms consume our bodies, yet we will see him with our own eyes and in our flesh. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.